Good morning, good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast, God's Holy Word. I'm your lovely host, Leslie Sullivan. And today is either episode 82 or 83. I'm not in front of my laptop. But I thought I would make an episode while I'm getting ready because there was something on my mind. So if you hear things going on in the background, that is me getting ready. Like, for example, I have to put some band-aids on my feet because I've been exercising a different way and breaking in some new shoes. And I'm trying to protect my lovely pinky toes. So I'm using these thicker band-aids that are really good. They're the ones that are um, they're almost like a cloth, but they're kind of hard to get off at night. Um, but if you soak them in water a little bit, they come off a lot easier. But anyway, they are good for protecting your toes. Like whenever you're using or trying out a new pair of shoes, all the good stuff. So I've been doing walking and some hit training and things of that nature. And, you know, I definitely feel it, particularly in my legs, but also in my toes because I have new shoes on. So anyway, so that's what that noise is in the background. But moving on. So I have a list of phrases that I say every morning. And I thought of this list after I watched an episode of Andrew Walmack. Andrew Walmack is an awesome evangelistic preacher. He's really good. I wish more people would listen to him and really focus on what he's saying because he's reading from God's holy word and he really does love people. And he wants to make sure that people hear the gospel. And so his show is broadcasted all over the world. And the way I see him is on YouTube. So I really love going to his YouTube channel. And looking at the different playlists that they have. So they're really good. I especially love his talks when he's like at these different conferences. Like, for example, he was in Orlando a while back. And he's, you know, first of all, he's super funny. He is really funny, especially when he's calling out the liberal left about some of the crazy stuff they say and do. And it's just hilarious because he's spot on about this stuff, about the crazy stuff that's going on in our world. And then also, he always delivers a really good message. And I, I just think, wow, Lord, thank you for blessing this man and continue to bless him and his ministry because it is so good. Also, side note, they have a Bible college. It's called Karis Bible College. I've actually gone to a couple meetings. I just haven't been able to actually join, join because of my schedule and things of that nature. But do check it out because it's a really good Bible college and it's really informative and it focuses on God's holy word. And so I think that's really great. So anyway, getting back to what I was originally going to talk about, I always love to give credit where credit is due, but I was watching an episode of Andrew Walmack. I can't remember which series it was, but he was talking about how we have more power than we realize, and I'm paraphrasing you know, what he said here, and if I can find the video, I'll let you guys know about it and, and tell you which one it is, but it's really interesting because he was talking about the authority of the believer. And I was just so taken aback by this in a really good way because I was just going, oh, my gosh, all, the, all these years, I've missed that. I've missed the authority that I have in Christ Jesus. You know, it's one of those things where if you've listened to this podcast long enough, you know that – sorry, I'm putting on a T-shirt, muffled my mouth, my apologies. If you've been listening to this podcast long enough, you know that I was raised in a Wrath of God, Church of Christ cult, and it was absolute hell – I could totally use different words, but I'm trying to be nice and work on my language because it's never good to be vulgar. So working on that. See, because here's the thing. I used to be a very vulgar person, and this is a side note. I was a very vulgar woman because I just thought, well, it's freedom of speech. You know, you know, why should I care what comes out of my mouth? Well, it very much matters because whatever we say and do is a reflection of who we are as a person. And if we are not reflecting a Christ-like image or lifestyle – 
that's a telltale sign that we've got a lot of work to work on ourselves, so to speak, and to try and do everything we can to make our life better, and also to be Christ-like. And being Christ-like doesn't mean that you're no longer who God made you to be, or that you're having to sacrifice everything in your life, you know, and that you can't have fun anymore. I think a lot of people think that, you know, if you become Christian or you, or if you give your life to Christ, oh, you've got to be super religious. You've got to, you know, you know, dot all your eyes, cross all your T's, and do it in a religious manner. And here's the thing, that is not true at all. God actually doesn't want you to be religious. He doesn't want you to be a Pharisee or a Sadducee. He wants you to be holy. And the reason why he wants you to be holy is because he calls all of us his children. He calls all of us his own, and he wants us to be happy. And he knows and has instituted holiness to guard us and protect us while we live on this earth. And then when we pass away at a ripe old age of like 250 or something, however long you want to live, then you can go to heaven. So it's very important. So you know, being religious is not the same as being godly or holy. It's two totally different things. So you know, just some of my advice, don't be religious, be holy. It's a totally different viewpoint And also, it's, it's spiritually correct, and it's God's holy word. Like, in God's holy word, a.k.a. the Bible, nowhere in there does God say, I want, you to be, I want you to be religious, I want you to be miserable, I don't want you to talk about anything else except me. It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible, because God knows that there's a difference between being religious and being holy. And I'm, I'm laughing at myself as much as I am laughing at that statement in general about You know, being religious, because I used to be quote-unquote religious when I was Catholic. So um, I thought I was doing the right thing. I was dotting all the Catholic I's and crossing all the Catholic T's. And you know what? The more religious I was, quote-unquote, the more, the more miserable I was. And here's the thing. The more miserable I was, the further it pushed me away from God, and the less and less I read his holy word. So if you're focusing just on, re, uh, what's it called, religiosity, You're going to be miserable. And don't don't be miserable. It's not worth it. God loves you. He, I mean, he sent his son to die for you, to save you from your sins, you know, to save you from your fleshly ways, and also to bless you, to give you a wonderful, abundant life, and to heal you. I mean, I think that speaks volumes. Um, but anyway, getting back to the original point. Um, so anyway, there was an episode of Andrew Womack I saw where he was talking about the authority of the believer. And I think it's a series, if I'm not mistaken. There might be a playlist about that one. It's really good. And so he was talking about the authority that we have in Christ Jesus. And I just thought, all these years I've had that wonderful authority and I didn't know it. I was just like, oh my gosh. I, I've been such a, I'm not trying to be hateful towards myself because I'm not. I'm just saying I was a stupid, foolish Christian. Just did not understand how to embrace God whatsoever. Um, I did not understand how to believe Even though I thought I did, it's one of those things. Just because you think something doesn't mean it's true. You know what I mean? It's kind of like how you can't judge everything by your feelings. You know what I mean? You know, like for, you know, I'm trying to think how best to describe that. Like whenever you're looking at a situation, you can't always go by your feelings because your feelings may be lying to you. Like you may feel hurt or um, offended, but it may, you know, something offensive may not have happened. See what I mean? So it really does matter that we know the truth and we get the truth from God's holy word. That's always a positive, never a negative. So anyway, when I was listening to Andrew Walmack, he's talking about the authority of the believer. My mouth just dropped because I was thinking, oh my gosh, like a big old light bulb 
came onto my head, and I was like, oh my gosh, oh man, and I realized all these stupid lies I had believed for years, and that's why I was so miserable, was because, you know, I questioned the lies, but it's like, well, it's coming from a, a religious person, and a religious entity, so are they really lying, or is the problem me? Well, the problem wasn't me, you know, see, because here's, here's the thing, we are the sheep and the people of God, Like I am I am the seed of Abraham. I am one of God's daughters. So, I'm not the problem. The problem was the person trying to brainwash especially women and children and the denomination was the problem. The hierarchy was the problem and also just misinterpreting the Bible and being hateful about it. Like not focusing on the goodness of God. And I just thought, wow, that really speaks volumes there. So, when I was watching this episode about the authority of the believer, It dawned on me, I need to start speaking wonderful phrases into my life that are godly, that are holy, and that speak the truth about who I am in Christ Jesus and what exactly, in terms of authority, what kind of authority do I have, that kind of thing. So I thought of these phrases, and I say them every morning. Sometimes I say them twice a day. So I'm going to read them to you guys. I wrote them down on a notepad, and then I ripped off that piece of paper, and I have it tacked on my bathroom wall so that, so that whenever I get out of the shower, it's right by the door, so whenever I get out of the shower, I see that list as I get out of the shower and as I am about to get ready for the day, and so I read it pretty much first thing in the morning whenever I'm getting ready. And again, if you hear rustling, I'm now putting on some of my makeup as I'm talking and speaking to you guys. So I'm going to read these phrases out to you, and you feel free to use and say whichever ones you want. If you want to add to it, go right ahead. Just make sure that it's holy, it's godly, and that it's true. Like, don't add anything negative or weird. That's not a good thing to do. We know that's bad, and that's what cults do. So don't be cult-like. Be Christ-like, right? And also, if you have any ideas, feel free to message me anytime. Uh, my podcast, there should be a contact me button or a link. And also, you can email me as well. Um, I'll give you my personal email address, and I'll also give you my cell. You can call or text me. It's easier to get a hold of me via text because I see that immediately, even when I'm at my desk at work, you know, that kind of thing. So my email address is leslie2018sullivan at gmail.com, and that's L-E-S-L-E-Y, 2018sullivan, S-U-L-L-I-V-A-N at gmail.com. Email me anytime. I see those pretty quickly. Then, my cell phone is 405-314-1119. Again, that's 405-314-1119. Call, text, especially if you need prayer. And you know, let me say this. If you need someone to stand with you on God's holy word and pray for something with you, I totally will do it. If you need help with something, you're like, hey, I need someone to stand with me about this. Something's going on in my life. You can give me a brief synopsis, whatever the case may be. Or just say, I, I need help with my health. If you don't want to be specific, you don't have to. You know, you and God know what the issue is. If you want someone to pray with you and for you, go right ahead, text me, call me, email me. I will totally do it. Because, you know, let me tell you this. It takes courage, a lot of courage, to ask someone you don't know, or even someone you do know, to ask them to pray for you. Because whenever you're asking someone to pray for you, You're opening up about your life. Like you're opening up about yourself that you normally do not do that. You know what I mean? And I know exactly how you feel. I used to never, ever ask other people to pray for me because I was raised, as I said, in a cult. And it was very shaming and blaming driven. That's how they control people. That's how they control their members. 
was the very thought of shame was terrifying. And so that's how they controlled people's actions and words. And you know what? Most of the people I went to church with were very miserable because they felt like because they're being shamed and blamed with their church that they thought that is exactly how God is and that that's not true at all. So, let me say this, there is no shame or condemnation in Christ Jesus. Sorry, I just got gosh, what is that? An eyelash? Sorry, an eyelash just got on my lip. <laughs> Sorry. I knew that felt weird. But here's the thing, there is no shame or condemnation in Christ Jesus. So, let me know if you need something that you need to be prayed for about, whatever the case may be, and I will gladly do it. So, just know that If God be for you, who dare be against you? And also, you need to make sure that whenever you're asking someone to pray for you, that your heart is genuine about it. You know what I mean? And also, you know, let's say you don't care for me to pray for you. That's fine. But let's say you're asking somebody else to pray for you. Make sure that they have good intentions towards you. I've made this mistake in times past where I thought, well, if I ask someone to pray for me, then surely it's always going to be good. <laughs> no, it's not. I'm laughing at myself. um because I'm thinking about all the Catholics and some other people I asked to pray for me and they had no intention of praying healthy good prayers to me they actually thought I deserved what happened to me they thought uh well some of them thought I deserved to die and not exist anymore and so they would lift up these wimpy whiny hateful prayers that well lord if it's be your you know if lord if it be your will heal Leslie but if it's not take her on home you've got to be kidding me they totally said these things folks and I was like whoa So you need to make sure that whenever you're asking someone to pray for you that you know for a fact that they don't want you dead and that they actually value your life and your happiness and they think that you are worthy first of all to be saved and that you are worthy to be healed. That's the thing. See cuz here's the thing. I've learned that whenever someone doesn't think I'm worthy, it's a whole different ball game and you know just because, you know, you're related to somebody or maybe they're your friend or you know maybe I'm using the sink here. You know, just because you're related to somebody or maybe you've been friends a long time or maybe because you go to the same church. Just because you go to the same church doesn't mean that you believe the same. I've learned that. I made that mistake and I was like, "Whoa, like you cannot trust denominational thinking." I'm not saying that God that God is against denominations per se. I'm just saying that you you basically can't judge a book by its cover. And sometimes these denominations that use their name um as a way to cover what they really think or believe about God and what they really think about other people. So just be aware of that cuz that happened to me and once I realized what was going on, I was like, "Oh, okay, so it's just me and you, Lord. I mean, not very many people believe in me right now in my life. Uh so it's just you and me." You know what's interesting is that I thought I would feel so alone having it just be me and Jesus praying and talking to each other, but you know what? It was the most fulfilling time in my life. And now I go to God with everything. Like I don't go to people first; I go to God first. And so, learning a lot about bad people—not that I wanted to learn all that—but just recognizing that some people are bad and they're Christians, and they may be jealous of what you have, and they think that you don't deserve what you have because they don't have what you have. So they—they're practicing. Um, Coveting thy neighbor's goods, which FYI goes against one of the Ten Commandments, so just be aware of that as well. So when you're asking someone to pray for you, make sure that they believe what you believe in, and that they believe that you are worthy, and that God loves you, and that He wants you healed. He wants you to be prosperous. He wants you to have a wonderful life. And let me tell you something, folks. I believe all of that for you guys, every single one of you. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care what someone has said to you, what someone did to you. 
I don't care what you've been diagnosed with. You are worthy in God's eyes. You are worthy. And who is anyone to tell you otherwise? That you're not worthy of a job. You're not worthy of a raise. You're not worthy of a cure or healing. All of that is BS. Excuse my language. So here's the thing. I believe that you are worthy of being healed. I believe that you're worthy of being saved. I believe that you're worthy of being super rich and wealthy so you can be prosperous. And that you know, if you want to help others, you can. That's a wonderful thing. Because that's one reason why God blesses people like that financially is so that we can be a blessing to others. Now, when I say be a, bl- a blessing to others, that doesn't mean throw your money down a rat hole or give your money to bad organizations or help somebody that's really evil. You know what I mean? Like, you can forgive somebody, but don't give them your... You know, like, I'm trying to... I'm talking too fast here because I'm getting worked up because I know what this is like. What I'm talking about is when God does bless you financially, don't turn around... And go back to the very people that hurt you and help them out financially. That is dumb. That's like going to the devil and saying, hey, God just blessed me. Do you want a 20? Yeah, don't do that. I've, I've seen people do that. And sometimes people will they'll hear a religious message and they'll think, oh, that must mean I've got to help all these bad people that hurt me. No. Here's the thing. If you could help them, you would have already done so. But they don't care to be helped by you. The best way that you can help somebody is to pray for them and back off. Let God take care of it. Let God deal with it. We are not in charge of someone else's life. We are not in charge of someone else's destiny or their fate. And we do not decide whether or not someone is saved, if they go to heaven or if they go to hell. So here's the thing. When God blesses you, don't turn around and go, oh, well, I want to help all these people that hurt me. You know, Pardon me for saying this, but screw them. I'm trying to be nice about it because I know what this is like. Sometimes Christians, we fall into this false humility, I guess, and this false, um, which I mean it's just a lousy way of practicing forgiveness, but it's not really forgiveness if you're basically making yourself a doormat to the very people that hurt you. So just be aware of that because when God blesses you, he doesn't want you to go back to what you were or who you were around. Here's the thing. The reason why God blessed you and the reason why he could bless you was because you got away from the bad and you went to the good is what I'm trying to say. So please be aware of that because I've seen that and it always disappoints me. I'm just like, man, but I know what it's like because I was brainwashed into that. I thought, oh, well, you know, I'm doing really good, so maybe I should try and help out these people that are lost. <laughs> no, no, no. People are responsible for themselves, just like you and I. We are responsible for ourselves. So, again, the best way you can help somebody is to pray for them and walk away and let God help them. Because here's the thing. We are not someone else's provider. Only God is your provider, and only God is that other person's provider. So, you know, don't take on a yoke that's not yours. Don't take on a burden that you can't handle and that you were never supposed to deal with. So just FYI, be aware of that. So, Anyway, side note on that puppy there, but let me read you this list of phrases that I've made up for myself after I heard and watched an episode of Andrew Womack in regards to the authority of the believer. And again, these are phrases that I say every morning when I'm getting ready and when I get out of the shower so I don't miss it. And it really inspires me and it helps me to be positive and to not think about anything negative that may or may not be going on in my life. <clears throat> Excuse me, my voice is a little rusty this morning. So here they are. I have dominion over creeps, basically like people that I can't stand or people that have tried to hurt me and harm me and that have hurt me and harmed me in the past. I have dominion over creeps. I have dominion over the earth. 
I have dominion over the fish of the sea. I have dominion over my body. I have dominion over my life. I have dominion over any and all circumstances. I have dominion over my finances and I have dominion over my health. Think about every single one of those and what exactly those are saying. When you when you know who you are in Christ Jesus, then you know you have the authority of all those things and that everything should come under your feet because you should be in charge of your life, not the devil, not some stupid church, not some denomination, and I'm not against churches. You should go to church. What I'm talking about when I say some stupid church, I'm talking about bad people that manipulate their uh, bad churches, excuse me, that manipulate their members as opposed to helping their members and helping them to draw closer to Christ because you know there's a difference between manipulating someone and actually helping somebody and being there for somebody. See, I know personally what it's like to be manipulated and then they try and throw it back in my face. Well, I was just trying to help you. Okay, well here's the thing. Helping someone doesn't give you permission to take over their life. You know what I mean? See, here's the thing. Whenever we give our life to Christ, we're not being manipulated by Jesus. We're being loved by Jesus and he loved us from you know before we were born. So it's not like he loved us once we gave our life to him. He loved us before we gave our life to him. So it's one of those things that try to think the best way to describe this. God is not a manipulator. The devil is a manipulator and he is the biggest and worst manipulator on this planet. It's horrible. So being that we know that to be true, Don't allow other people to manipulate you because here's the thing, if you are allowing other people to manipulate you, um you're doing the very thing that God does not want you to do because God did not create a weak people. He created us to be mighty in the land, to be mighty. And if someone doesn't want you to be mighty, like for example, they don't believe that you should get that job or that you should get that car or that you know you should win the lottery, whatever the case may be, Why would you want to be around that person anyway? God loves you. And if God be for you, who dare be against you? So just recognize that you know bad people are bad. That's just how it is. And you know sometimes those people are Christians. But here's the thing. If someone is a Christian and they're bad, they're not being Christ-like. And here's the thing, it's not your job to get them saved. It's not your job. And I'm saying this as a preacher and a teacher because I I I I technically am a pastor, technically. So here's the thing. It's not my job to get people saved. Because I can't force people to get saved. I can't force people to give their life to Christ. I can preach and teach the message. I can pray for people. I can help them recognize God's love for them, but I I can't force them to believe. I can't force them to do what's right. All I can do is basically be a messenger, be a mentor, be a pastor, be a preacher. I can do all that. But here's the thing. I can't force someone to do something. Even whether it's good, bad or ugly, I can't force them to do something. Why? Because they have free will. Imagine how frustrated God gets sometimes when we have free will and we choose not to do God's will. You know what I mean? So, please recognize that you have so much authority in you. Don't waste it on bad people. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't care that people get saved. I do care personally that people get saved. But I've learned that I can't force people to be saved. I can't force them to be Christian. And I tell you who are the worst people? Christians. Christians that think they're holier than thou. They think their life is better than yours and they know more than you and they've always got some stupid story to tell about themselves. It's like, "Okay, we weren't talking about you. We we're talking about Jesus." You know, it's just like 
They want to hog the floor. They want to hog the. They want to hog the spotlight. And it's like you got to be kidding me. This is ridiculous. So it kind of reminds me of like whenever I'm working around people that are way older than me. And like for example, if they're retired, I'm not always a fan of working with people that are retired because they're always living in the past and they're always lecturing. They're always giving advice, but no one asks for it, and it just gets so old. It's like okay. Could we just be real here and let people think of their own conclusions? Like, let them use their own brain instead of being lectured all the time. That's what it kind of feels like. So, you know, God doesn't lecture us. Have you noticed that? He gave us free will. God doesn't lecture us. He doesn't say, "Oh, you have to do this." You, you know, you. He doesn't bombard our brain every day. <coughs> Excuse me, coughing a little bit. He doesn't say, "If you don't give your life to me right now." You're 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 never going to get to heaven. He never does that. He never does that. He draws us to himself. He draws us to him because he wants us to mean it when we say, "Lord, I repent. I give you my life. Make me brand new. I serve you and only you." See, he wants it to come from our heart that we are genuine. But if you're going to a church that browbeats that shames and blames and is a cult maybe the word cult is not associated with your church but if they act like one they are a cult there are so many churches i've gone to in times past <coughs> excuse me that they have they got offended when i said you're acting like a cult and like we're not a cult i was like really what's a cult and they told me what a cult is i was like that is exactly what you're doing that's part of the problem here And no one is called to be in a cult. No one. We are all called to God's holy family because we are his family. So basically, if you're not giving your life to Christ, then then you're missing out on the very thing that you were created to be, which is to be Christ-like. Very important. And so that's why I make it a point to watch positive messages. And sometimes like if I'm home like on a Saturday or Sunday or something and it's raining outside and I don't want to get out in that weather, you know what? I'll just have a little worship session in my house and I'll watch a whole bunch of like Andrew Womack episodes or maybe maybe Kenneth Copeland or Gloria Copeland like I mean, you choose what you do with your life and your time. So choose it for good, choose it for the glory of God and that doesn't mean being religious. That doesn't mean being a Bible thumper. I mean, I read my Bible every day, and sometimes I read it eight times a day. So it's very important to read your Bible. And I'll say this: sometimes I miss an entire day of reading, but you know what I do? I add up how much I would have read that day, and I add it to the next time I read, and I have a wonderful time with Jesus. It's not—it's not like I'm trying to play catch up, and I'm trying to, you know, make sure I dot my eyes and cross on my T's just so God will love me. I know God loves me regardless of whether I read his holy word. That's not the question. That's not the issue. The issue is it's not that God loves me because he does. He loves me very much. The issue is my dedication and me setting time aside to have one-on-one time with God. Because it's very important to have one-on-one time with him. You know what's interesting? If I had not chosen to have one-on-one time with God, I would have never looked up Andrew Womack episodes. I would have never seen that episode the authority of the believer. I would have never thought up those phrases I just told you. I would have never been inspired in the way I am now to live my life as a young woman. So it's very important that we honor God with our time, not with religiosity, not with buying all the right books, 
you know, saying this many rosaries, which I don't think anyone should say rosaries because it's just repetitive prayer. And, you know, God says he's not impressed with that. <laughs> you know, it's not. And I learned my lesson on that because I used to say the rosary. And I was like, I'm not really being inspired here. I'm not drawing closer to God. I'm just saying someone else's words as opposed to my own. And it just hindered me from talking freely and frankly with God. And even God told me, I told you so, kind of thing. Like, he's like, hey, I want to hear from your heart. I already know about the rosary. I, I've heard that. I want to hear from you. If you love praying the rosary, fine, pray it. But don't miss out on that active and direct communication, fellowship with God, which is what prayer is. It's fellowship between you and your Heavenly Father. And no one else has control over that. It's between you and him. And here's the thing I learned about cult, side note. I learned that cults are notorious for trying to control your life, your prayer life, what you say with, you know, what you say to God, what you don't say to God, because you know they very much remind me of Stalin, who was an evil, wicked dictator in the Soviet Union, and he closed down churches. So for those that think communism, fascism, and Marxism is great, wow, it's not. You need to read history. So what Stalin did, in case you don't know. He shut down all the churches. Some of them he destroyed and demolished. He forbid Christianity. He forbid any kind of religion whatsoever, but especially Christianity, because he knew that if people believed in the one true God, they would take him out and have a different leader because they would value their freedom, and they would want democracy. They would want capitalism. They would not want communism. They would not want a dictator. But you know what he did institutionalize? He took away Christianity. He took away religion. And he institutionalized atheism. What do you think is going on right now with the liberal left and what they're trying to do to our society and to our country? They are doing everything they can to institutionalize atheism. Now, here's the thing: I've met some great atheists over the years. Sometimes I get along better with atheists than I do Christians. But when it comes down to it, atheists are not moral. They're amoral or immoral or sometimes both. They they don't understand doing what's right. They don't understand rules, laws, and regulations. They don't value sexual purity. They don't value marriage. They don't value chastity. They don't value private property. They don't value success. They don't value courage. That's why a lot of them don't join the military. A lot of them are cowards. They're yellow, as we say here in Oklahoma in the Bible Belt. It's like, do you really want that kind of thinking to be institutionalized? Whereas, you know, when you have the freedom and you are encouraged to be Christian and to be Christ-like, you have freedom, you have democracy, you have capitalism, you have private property, you have every right and opportunity to be successful, to make your own money, earn a whole lot of money, and not be shamed and blamed. But you'd be surprised how many atheists, especially ones that are super wealthy. They are against wealth, but not their wealth. Like they don't want other people being wealthy; only they can be wealthy. See, that is institutionalized favoritism, and that is exactly what communism did, and that's what it does. Because what's interesting is that when the USSR fell, you have to remember that before it fell, it was a closed society because Stalin and his goons did not want the rest of the Basically, the planet—he he didn't want people to know what was really going on in his country under his regime. He wanted everybody to think that everybody was great. His 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 people were happy peasants, and they just loved giving the government their money and their property. None of them enjoyed it. They had to do it, otherwise, 
They would have been imprisoned or, or excommunicated or put in exile, or they would have been murdered. They would have been executed, basically, as traitors. So it's one of those things that atheists, they very much resemble Stalin because they are completely against religion, and they think that their way of thinking, which technically is their own religion, atheism is a religion. They may not like it. They, they may not like it being worded that way, but whatever you believe in, is what you worship. And if what you believe in is what you're worshiping, which we know that to be true, if it's not God, it's not holy. It's pagan. As much as I love atheists, as much as I've met some really good one over the, good ones over the years, let me tell you this, I've tried to date atheists, it always boils down to me not putting out, basically I don't want to have sex with them because we're not married. And you know what? They immediately break up with me. Because they're not interested in me as a person. They're just interested in me as a pound of flesh, these guys. And what's interesting, the way that they, I've mentioned this before, the way that atheist men get women to sleep with them is they say, well, I don't believe in God and I don't believe in the Ten Commandments, so technically you're not breaking any rules because I don't believe in it. It's like, you got to be kidding me. That's how these atheist guys convince Christian women to sleep with them. Well, if I don't believe in God, then we're not doing anything wrong. You got to be kidding me. That is such a, wow, su such a catchphrase. I mean, where did they learn that from? Sodom and Gomorrah, Pompeii, I mean, the sex trafficking industry? I mean, really, it's a very clever, crafty way of trying to get someone to lower their guard and to do something they would not normally do. And see, here's the thing. Whenever you lower your guard, you are allowing the enemy into your life, whether it's through this person or something spiritual. You have to be careful about this because sometimes, you know, you can be very attracted to somebody. You can like somebody. You can be friends with somebody. You can be dating somebody. But you have to be careful about letting your guard down, even when you love somebody, even when you might be in love with somebody. You need to do things God's holy way. And God says it's very clear, especially in the Old Testament, when he was talking to the Israelites, do not intermarry with the people that you live near. Because they're pagan and they will pull you away from me. That is why if you're a Christian, you should not date atheists, agnostics, Buddhists, Muslims. Um, I would say people that have satanic worship. I mean, here's the thing. All of these types of religions and belief systems and different types of theologies, if they are outside of God's holy word and his holiness, it's pagan and it's wrong. And it will pull you away from your Heavenly Father. And when something pulls you away from your Heavenly Father, you are risking your salvation and your soul. And that's very sad. Like, what's the point of risking all that for someone that doesn't really love you? Because if someone really loved you and wanted what is best for you, they would never try and deceive you or pull you away from the one true God, which is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Joshua, and it's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You'd be surprised how many people hate him and detest him. And it's like, wow, I wonder what he thinks about your beliefs about him and your behavior. It's really strange. So needs to say... The reason why I bring this up is because if you don't know your authority in Christ Jesus, and if you're not practicing that authority, especially with your mind, your will, your emotions, and what you speak, what you say out of your mouth, you are opening a window or a door, even just a little bit of a crack. You're opening just a little bit of space to the enemy. 
And it doesn't take much for him to get into your life and just blow it to hell and just ruin it. Because he hates us. The devil hates us because we were made in the image of Almighty God. And he knows that God loves us, treasures us. And God can't stand him. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just like, why do anything that separates you from the goodness of God? Don't do that. Don't run from God, run to God. Every day of your life, that's not a sign of weakness. That's not a sign of stupidity. That's a sign of courage. That's a sign of strength. And that's wisdom. If you go to the one who can give you all wisdom and that loves you very much and can save your life any day and every day, it's the best thing in the world to go to God. Don't go to people. Go to God. Especially, well, with everything, but especially with really important things. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll close with, with an example here. Let's say, for example, you get sick. And you need to go see a doctor. You should go see a doctor. And I understand that there are many doctors that think they're God. And that uh, some of them are atheist, agnostic, and whatever else is not holy. A lot of them, it's like, it's like the moment they go to medical school, it's like that's the moment they lose their faith, which is really weird. But here's the thing. God gave us modern medicine. It's a gift to us. So if you're sick, you should go see a doctor. But the final report is from God. It's not from the doctor. So if the God, if the God, excuse me, if the doctor gives you bad news, that's not the final authority. God's word is final authority. And the good report is in the good news, and the good news is God's holy word. It doesn't mean you can't ever see a doctor because you should. We do need doctors. But instead of looking at doctors from a negative point of view, we should start praying that more doctors give their life to Christ and that they become holy good people and that we have more Christians be doctors. Because that's how it used to be back in the day. You may not realize that, but the reason why we have such good modern medicine today is not because of the atheists. It's because of the Christians. And I'm not talking about the Catholic Church. Because the Catholic Church, especially during the Dark Ages, they halted and stopped a lot of science and research. Stupidly. Very stupidly. They acted like they were God, and they are not God. That's a cult. That, so, he used to say, the Catholic Church, you know, just think about if they hadn't done what they did to what was considered modern medicine at the time, if they had not interfered with science and research, we could have been several hundred years down the road advanced in science. So, this is why it's very important to be careful what religion you practice, what faith you practice, and what you believe in, and also... That you not give anyone authority over you or your life. Because you have the authority of Christ Jesus in you when you give your life to Christ. Very important. So again, we love our doctors. We want them to, to be well and to do well. We just need to start praying that they are good, holy Christians. And that they, that they do not act like God. Because they are not God. And that you know they need to take a leap of faith and pray for their patients. I don't know very many doctors that pray for their patients. And you think they would do that because if they really wanted the best for their patients, they would pray about their patients. And they would ask God to help them treat their patients. You think that they would ask for guidance. But here's the thing. Sometimes the, the, um, the mindset and the false ideology of elitism sinks into their mind in, in medical school. And then it sinks into their heart and to their soul. That's very unfortunate. 
Very, very unfortunate. But we can change that. We can change that with prayer. You know, I'll say this. I've seen some really bad doctors over the years. Not by choice. <laughs> not by choice. But I prayed for them. I prayed for them. Because if they're doing unethical bad things to me and not being good and holy to me, they're probably doing this to other people. And that's a problem because it's it's not an isolated incident is what I'm trying to say. So it's not my job to fire someone like that because they don't work for me. But God can get them fired. God, you know, God can mold their heart. God can help them to be a better person. All I can do is focus on what God wants me to do, which is to be a good person, be a believer in Christ Jesus, always stand up for what's right, and to not accept anything less than God's best, which means when a doctor isn't that great to me, I go see somebody else. You know, here's the thing. When people stop seeing bad doctors, those bad doctors won't make any more money. And let me say this. Money talks. When someone realizes that they're the problem and that's why they're not making any money, they will change so fast it will surprise you. They will change quicker than turning on a light in a room with a light switch. They will change that fast. And what's sad is that sometimes it takes money, them losing money, them losing their job, to realize, wow, my patients are telling me something. They're telling me they don't want to see me. They don't like me because they're not coming to see me anymore. That's a big hit. But it takes a lot of courage and a lot of faith to leave a medical practice like that. Like as a patient, I've had to do that because I'm like, well, Lord, where am I going to go? Who am I going to see? This is supposed to be the best person, you know, in this field. You know, it was, you know, it was a big deal to me. But in terms of correcting it and getting me to a better doctor, it was no big deal to God. He's like, I got the perfect person for you, Leslie. And he sent me on my way. It's like, thank you, Jesus. So don't shy away from, I'm, I'm trying to think how to word this. Don't shy away for going for the best. Don't shy away from putting yourself first. Don't think, well, you know, I, I, you know, I can go see this doctor. It's not that big of a deal. You know, I don't like them. If you don't like somebody, there, there's a reason why. I'm not saying you have to be friends with someone like that because that's not appropriate for a doctor-patient relationship. I'm saying that if there's something wrong, that means there's something wrong. And something in your gut is telling you, You you need to go elsewhere and you need something better in your life. And the reason why you need something better in your life is because whatever you're getting is not God's best. That's why. And that's why I say these phrases. Like when I say, I have dominion over this, I have dominion over that. The one about I have dominion over my health and I have dominion over creeps, I can't tell you how many creeps I have met in the medical field. At the front desk, the nurses, the doctors, it's creepy. There are so many people, unfortunately, bad people, um, unethical people in the medical field. They're in it for the money. And I'm not saying you can't make a lot of money and be successful. That's great, but you got to do it God's way. And making the patient suffer and treating them like garbage, let me tell you, that's not God's way. And it's not holy. That's where I get irritated with stuff like that. Because it's like, you know, I, you know, I take pride in doing my job and do it, doing it well. Because I do everything with integrity. 
And when I see someone doing their job not well and with lack of integrity, that gets my attention really quick. Really quick. Because that tells me they're not moral. They don't have values. And all they care about is themselves and their ego. And they don't value my life or my happiness or my health whatsoever. That's a big problem. Because God values all of that for me. You know what? If, you know, I know that when I don't like a bad person, God doesn't like them either. That's why I always tell people and I say, you need to pray for bad people. You need to pray for them because, you know, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe this. It's like there's so much I want to say. You can't force someone to change just because you're like, well, you're doing wrong and I'm in the right. That doesn't work, unfortunately. I think back in the day it did work. It doesn't work so much anymore because people are defiant more these days against God. It's like, well, if you want to be pagan and go to hell, you know, fine. I guess if you want to miss out on the goodness of God, if that's your intention. But in the meantime, I, I expect things to, to be moral, to be legal, and to do, it, and to do everything God's holy way. Because that's the only way I live my life. And I'm not accepting anything less than God's best. So you know what? It took a lot of courage for me to start saying that to people. Because that was my way of calling people out on their bad behavior. And you know what? A lot of those people changed. Not because I said, you're the problem, I'm not. It's because I said, hey, this is how I live my life. And it has to be God's best. Because if it's not God's best, I don't want it. And so that typically wakes up a lot of people and they realize, oh, wow, I missed the mark. And I need to correct some things in my life. They're not saying it out loud, but they're thinking it. Like, I can see the wheels turning. And then nine times out of ten, the next time I see that person, they're a whole lot nicer. And, they, you know, what's interesting is that when they're nicer, they usually have a better life. And they recognize, hey, I need to be doing my job a whole lot better and treat this person with dignity and respect. So feel free to use any of the phrases I've said in these podcasts because they work wonders. Because I've learned that when I just say it like it is and I focus on God's holy word, I'm like, what do I care what they think or say? If they're mean to me, I'll just leave. If they do something illegal, immoral, whatever, I'll report them to the police or to the appropriate authorities or I'll get an attorney, I'll sue, and I'll get really rich. So either way, what am I worried about? If they change, that's great. If they don't and they still continue to do really bad stuff, I'll sue them. I'll make a lot of money and live in a bigger house than them. And also, I'll take vacations all the time, vacations they wish they had, but they don't deserve those vacations, and they're not getting those vacations because they are not living their life the right way. That's the thing. See, vengeance is not for us. It's for God. God will, God will protect you. He will justify you. He will guard you and protect you. And it is God that gets revenge. God is our vindicator. So look at it this way. While God is correcting all these stupid bad people that you and I can't stand, we can go to Disney World together. You know, we, we can go on a wonderful cruise. And here's the thing. More than likely, as we're traveling, we're going to meet some weird people along the way. Because get this, weird people are everywhere. Because you have to remember that Christians these days are kind of few and far between. So all the more reason that we should let our light shine and let it shine brightly. So wherever we go, whether it's to a job or, or a vacation, we are still called to holiness, to holiness. We do not get a day off from being Christian. I know a lot of Christians think and behave that way, but that's really evil to do that. A lot of these Christians, these so-called Christians, 
They, they, they're holy on the weekends, like on a Sunday. But then come Monday, like, oh, I'm going to live the life I want. Well, what is the life you want? Because if it's not the life that God wants for you, why are you living that life that goes directly against what God wants you to do? And again, that doesn't mean being religious. It means being holy. That doesn't mean being a hermit, because God did not call anyone to be a hermit. No one. <laughs> you know, that, that's, we are social creatures. God made us that way. Why? Because we're supposed to have fellowship with other believers. So if you're hermitizing yourself, basically, if you're becoming a hermit and staying locked away, what good, you know, what good are you? You're not setting an example of what to do. You're doing the very thing you're not supposed to do, which is hiding your light. You're not letting your light shine that is shining within you. So over time, your light dwindles, and eventually your, your, your life goes in the ditch, basically. And you may call that holy, but it's not. Look, let me tell you this. Being poor, broke, and not dressing well, that's not holy. And then turning that into some stupid vow, wow, that's not a vow, that's a curse. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. I know exactly what a curse is. Read the Bible. God loves his people. He wants them to be blessed. He wants them to be prosperous, super rich, super wealthy, super healthy, super abundant in everything. If you're anything outside of that, that's where your problem is. You know what? A problem is a great opportunity to draw closer to God because he can help you correct that and he can bless you in that area. That doesn't mean that, that you welcome hardship. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that, oh, you know, God gives us hardships to teach us a lesson. God doesn't make, I'm going to put it this way. God doesn't make his people suffer to teach them a lesson. The lesson has already been written, and it's God's holy word. That's the manual for life. So if you're one of these stupid, wishy-washy, pathetic, weak-minded Christians, and I don't mean that harshly, but I think you understand what I'm saying here. If you're one of those Christians I just mentioned, and you think, oh, I, I've got this disease because God's trying to make me holy. Really? No. That's not how God works. Read the Bible. Death and disease are from the pit of hell. So why are you embracing something that's from the enemy and calling it holy? That's called heresy. Are you a heretic? No? Okay, then, then don't embrace what goes against the goodness of God. If you're not healthy... Those are the prayers you should be lifting up to God. You need to make a list of everything that is wrong with your body or that you don't like or that is an issue. And you need to lift that up in prayer to God. And not if it be thy will. It is God's will for you to be healed. Watch those episodes of Andrew Womack, The Authority of the Believer. It is God's will for you to be healed. Let's say you're depressed. Well, depression is not part of the blessing. So you need to lift that up to God. And you need to choose joy and happiness because you need to choose God. Don't embrace what is pulling you away from God and making you miserable. Embrace what is good, holy, and true because that is what God wants for you every day of your life. So, again, don't do any of this, oh, Lord, if it be thy will. Yeah, it's not God's will for, for you to pray like that. It's not. It's just, ugh, it just drives me nuts. Like whenever someone says something stupid, I always <laughs> make that noise. It's called, a, it's called a raspberry, a raspberry. Like when you go like that, it's called like, okay, yeah. 
I, I'm not happy with how people word some things. I'm like, look, you you need to throw out the bad and embrace the good. I'm just like, do not embrace anything bad. Don't do that. So just know that in Christ Jesus, it is God's holy will, because God is not evil; He is holy. It is God's holy will for you to be healed, for you to be rich, for you to be wealthy, for you to be abundant, for you to be happy, for you to be prosperous, for you to have a bunch of kids, for you to be super fertile, for you to be, you know, amazingly happy. I mean, all these things, because those are the blessings of God. Those—that's the blessing of Abraham. Don't throw that away. Here's the thing: if you're not speaking as an authority, you know, with the authority of a believer in Christ Jesus, that's probably your biggest problem. If you address that, I think all these other things will come into play. I think all these things will maybe come into play is not the right phrase. When you recognize your authority in Christ Jesus, and you recognize you have the authority of the believer, then you recognize, oh, these things that are bothering me. These things that I don't like, these can easily be addressed by my heavenly Father. So what am I worried about? Yes, I'll pray about them. Yes, I'll do my part. But I'm going to choose to be happy in my life. I love what Joyce Meyer said. She said, "Your two biggest weapons are prayer and praise." She's right. And you know where she got that? God's holy word. Read the book of Psalms. The book of Psalm is a perfect example of where prayer and praise are the mightiest weapons on the face of this earth. They are more powerful than a cannon, a nuclear bomb,、um, a nuclear catastrophe, an oil spill, an AK-47, whatever these different names are. Prayer and praise are way more powerful than anything on the face of this earth. And here's the thing: prayer and praise are even more powerful than the liberal left. So if you're worried and fretting about the liberal left, man, you are allowing the enemy to convince you that that Christianity is on its way out the door and it's never coming back. That is not the case. Because when Jesus died for us and saved us at Calvary, He defeated death, disease, destruction, curses. He defeated all of that at that moment and for all time. So if you're concerned about Democrats and liberals, pray about. Ask them. You know, ask God. Don't ask them because they won't listen to you. But ask God to help them give their life to Christ and to become Christians and to be holy in everything they think, say, and do. Because think about what all a crazy liberal nutbag thinks, says, and does. Every pretty much everything they think, say, and do reflects what we are not supposed to do as God's holy people. So that's how you can tell that they're not holy. So he has to say it makes it very difficult to date them, to marry them, to work with them, to work for them, or to trust them. So this is one of those reasons why I mention we can't change people, but we can pray for them. You know, we can't change people, but we can change ourselves. So instead of trying to control other people, we can just give that over to God and just say, Lord. Help me do your will in all things, and one of God's holy wills is to live in peace, to take no offense, stand up for what's right, fight for what's right, but do not give the enemy a foothold on any area of your life, and that includes politics, that includes your heart, your mind, your soul, that includes how you vote, that also includes how you drive, that includes 
you know, what you eat, how you eat, who you're around, how you spend time with family, how you spend time with friends, your work performance. If you're married, you know, how are you as a spouse? You know, if you if you work in the healthcare industry, I think those people have a greater responsibility to be to be holy in a way. I mean, we're all called to holiness equally, but there are certain occupations that it's very important for them to be holy because they're affecting someone else's livelihood, whether or not they live or die. It's not the same as packaging paper clips. You know what I mean? Like like there's a difference. Like there's a greater responsibility. So it needs to say give your life to Christ, do God's holy will, give him a chance to bless you, and you need to start saying really positive things to yourself and about yourself every morning. And let me tell you something, it was difficult to say these things at first, like that list I said because it just I didn't feel blessed. I was like, "Well, Leslie, it doesn't matter whether or not you feel blessed, you are blessed." Feelings are not always true. But God is true. So the more I focus on the truth of my heavenly Father, the more my mind, my will and my emotions lined up with Jesus. The more they lined up with the way I'm supposed to live my life. See, it's not just these positive affirmations. They have to be true and believable. You know what I mean? And here's the thing. God doesn't lie. Everything he says is yes and amen. And all, you know, God's holy word, it's it's one big promise and one big covenant between us and God because he loves us. That's where I get my positive affirmations. I get them from God. I don't get them from some new age crystal believing wicked specialist or something like no. I get my positive affirmations from God because they're not positive affirmations, they're promises. Because we worship a covenant-keeping God. Why would I speak anything else but what he says about my life and about what I want and what I desire and what I believe? Notice I said the word I, meaning it's personal. Because God doesn't know us as a collective. He knows us on an individual basis. Like that's why he wants to hear our individual prayers. Not a whole bunch of litanies or rosaries. He wants to hear he wants to hear directly from us. He wants to hear from our heart and our soul because he loves us as an individual. You know, when we were born, we weren't born like as a Catholic or a Baptist or we weren't born in like a group of 10 or 20 or 50. We were born as an individual, even if you were born as a twin or a triplet or whatever. You're still born as an individual. You're given an individual birth certificate. You have your own DNA. You have you have your own fingerprints, your own footprints. Like your identity is very much only your identity. And God gave that to you. Don't throw it away for the lies and empty promises of some stupid collective. which can be a cult, communism, fascism, socialism, the liberal left. That's why we need to have our guard up because it protects our heart and our soul. And I'll tell you this. Initially when I was having to keep my guard up all the time, which I still do, but when I initially started doing that, I was exhausted. 
I was like, I've got to keep my guard up all the time. And, it, you know, when I was reading God's holy word, I was like, well, technically, yes, I have to do that until I get into my promised land. I have to have my guard up because of who I'm around, what I have going on in my life, and things have to change. But what's interesting is that the more I kept my guard up, the stronger I became. The less people mess with me. I loved it. And I'll say this, the moment I let my guard down, that's when I had an awful day. <laughs> it was bad. It's like, wow, I'm not letting my guard down. Everything has to be yes and amen. It's got to be God's will. It has to be for God. That doesn't mean that I don't matter and that I don't exist. It means that I am guarded and protected by my Heavenly Father at all times. But here's the thing. God does love you and protect you at all times. But if you throw that protection away, that's on you. Like God loves you and wants to protect you. But if you let your guard down and you embrace something or allow, allow something into your life that you're not supposed to, you basically tied God's hands because you have free will to do that. You have free will to be around the you know bad people or to belong a you know belong to a bad organization you know you have free will to commit fraud you have free will to commit murder you have free will to commit adultery you have free will to speed on the highway do like 120 miles an hour when it's a you know 65 you have the free will to do that but when you're doing those things outside of God's holy will the hedge of protection is no longer around you that's why i say these positive phrases every morning i have dominion i have dominion i love that because not only is it true but it creates accountability and i think sometimes we don't want to be held accountable it's like well you know accountability i can't even say the word accountability is equal to responsibility And those two things are equal to your success and your outcome in your life. So if you want to be blessed and prosperous, then you embrace and you don't back down from accountability and responsibility because you have dominion over those things. I have dominion over my circumstances. I have dominion over my life. I have dominion over who I associate with. I have dominion over who I date. I have dominion who I marry. I have dominion who I have lunch with. I have dominion who I work for. I have dominion over how much money I make. You see what I mean? Like it's you you have responsibilities and because you embrace those you actually become very blessed in a way that you never knew because you're basically growing up. You're not acting like a little kid anymore, sucking on your thumb so to speak. You are being an adult. You are being a responsible, holy Christian adult. Is what I'm trying to say. That's why I say these phrases every morning, every morning. And just when I think I don't need them, I'm like, up, oh, back up, Leslie. Go back into the bathroom and read those. Reread them, because I, I know what happens. It's when you get too comfortable that you get relaxed. You think, oh, I got this, and that's when the enemy comes at you like you would not believe. And it's like, you know what? I'm not playing that game. I'm not gonna think, oh, I, I got all this under control, because I know that's not true. But my God has everything under control, and because He has everything under control, I have it under control. But if God's not first, 
What am I worshiping? What am I putting my faith in? That's why these things are so important. That's why God's holy word is important. That's why what we think, say, and do is so important. So if you're speaking poverty, lack, and disease, guess what? That's what you're going to have. You know what I started saying? I started saying the other day, you know what? No sickness will come near my house. No sickness will come near my car. No sickness will come near my body. I forbid it. I rebuke it. And it is under my feet. And you know what? I feel amazingly healthy. Amazingly healthy. And actually, I just got some blood work back. My blood work looked amazing. I was surprised. I was really surprised. Because <laughs> I hadn't been feeling that good. I was actually kind of concerned. I was like, man, what's going on? But you know what I prayed about? And when they took my blood, I was thinking, you know what? I may not feel that great, but my blood is great. My body is great. Why? Because my God is great. If God can part the Red Sea for the Israelites... He can work wonders in my body and in my life. And I saw that just a few days ago when I had blood work taken. I was like, thank you, Jesus. My goodness. I was just like, wow. You know what's interesting is that the moment I got that good news of the good blood work or whatever, the enemy tried to come at me, well, this other stuff's not taken care of, Leslie. This other stuff is bad. I'm like, you know what? Screw that. My blood work is awesome. My God is good. I'm going to focus on what is good. So I just started thinking about my future. I started thinking about all the good things that are going to happen. And the enemy was doing everything he could to discourage me. Like he didn't want me to hear the good news. He didn't want me to focus on the good things that God has done for me. Because I've been through a lot health-wise. A lot. A lot. I don't know when I'm going to write my biography. I'm only 39, so I need to wait many, many, many years. But, I mean, I could write a biography like of stuff that's happened the first 39 years of my life because it was not easy. It was not easy. It was very difficult. It was very brutal. And someday I'll probably talk in more detail about that. But all I can say is that God is good. God has saved me so many times. And you know, here's the thing. The situations that I know of that he saved me are just that. Those are just the ones that I know of. I guarantee you, my heavenly Father has saved me has saved me from from so many other situations and circumstances that I don't even know about. Because God knows everything. So now when I thank God, I thank him for all the stuff that I don't know about. Because that that's just you know, it dawned on me a while ago that hey, these are only the situations I'm aware of that I know that happened. What about all the things that were happening that I didn't know about? You know, that the enemy was trying to pull. And God squashed him like a bug yet again because the devil is an idiot and a moron, so he should be squashed like a bug. See, that's how you need to view the enemy. He's an idiot and a moron and just view him as like a cockroach and just get your shoe and whack him in the head. That's what you need to do. The devil is not this powerful entity or individual. He's an idiot and a moron. He failed, he was kicked out of heaven and he was thrown into the pit of hell along with all of his goons that thought he was great. Just walk him on the head with your shoe. Just think about it in your mind. The devil is a worm. He's a cockroach. 
He's a creep. Just swat him. Just get your shoe out mentally and just squash him or get a fly swatter. I did that one summer. One summer here in Oklahoma, we had so many flies. I don't know what was going on, but they were biting flies. We typically don't have a lot of those kinds of flies. I don't know if they were horse flies or what, but all I know was that whenever I swatted them, all this blood went everywhere. I mean, they they would bite. It was terrible. We're not used to that here in Oklahoma. I mean, we're used to mosquitoes and other things, but not flies. And these flies were huge. They were mean. I was like, "Oh, Mr. and Mrs. Pestilence, you are not welcome in my yard or in my house." So I bought a fly swatter. And I actually went through a couple of them because the first one broke. I was really swatting them because there were so many of them. And so I got really picky about what kind of fly swatter I want. So anyway, I was swatting these flies. I was like, "You know what? This is what we need to do to the enemy. Swat them. Just literally swat." Every single time you pull something, swat. That's it. Swat them like a fly. And the way you swat them is your faith in Jesus Christ. Your faith in Jesus Christ will swat him like a fly. Another thing that will swat him like a fly is what you speak. That's why these phrases I said earlier, I have dominion over X Y Z. I have dominion over this. I have dominion over that. That is swatting the enemy over and over. He is a fly. He is a jerk. He is a weasel. Get a fly swatter. And just think, this is a holy fly swatter. And I'm going to swat the enemy with this. Go for it. I never realized how awesome fly swatters are until I actually needed one that one summer. And now, like I said, I'm super picky cuz there are lousy fly swatters out there. And here's the thing. Lousy fly swatters are just like false doctrines. They claim to do something good, but it's really not. And it will leave you broken-hearted every single time and it will not do the job that it's telling you it will and then you will be left with what you're still having to deal with, which in my case was a bunch of biting flies that I hate and despise and I did not want to use pesticides because when you use a pesticide especially in your house or even your yard, you're exposing yourself, your family and your pets to it and also your neighbors and I didn't think that was appropriate. So it's like, well, I could definitely, you know, use my biceps and triceps. So I just started having fun. I'm like, "Okay, where's another fly that I can swat?" So every time I swat a fly, I thought of a situation in my life that I can't stand. I was like, "Lord, this is the enemy right here. Here's another situation. I don't like it. I give it to you. Here we go. I'm going to swat it. It's swatted. It's done. It's over with." That's how you need to look at this stuff. Like have that authority. It's not this, "Oh, Oh gosh, we we've got infestation. What are we going to do? Gee, get a fly swatter, suck it up. Like address it. Like I'm not trying to be harsh, but it's just like I know what it's like to be weak-minded, timid, shy, all this stuff. And guess what? It got me nowhere except into hell. Like it was just we cannot afford to be weak, especially women. And I'm not saying you be a feminist because feminists are crazy nutbags. Like they are weird and they are not holy and they are very I mean a lot of them are for killing babies. Like that's not holy. So I'm not saying for you to be a feminist because I would never tell you to be that. I'm saying be holy. And when you're holy, you are a humanist. Because you treat everybody with equality because that's God's holy will. So being that we are human and that we are equals It's high time we recognize when the enemy is trying to pull us apart. So, if you're a listener, 
Do me a favor and do yourself a favor. Go buy a fly swatter. Buy a couple of them. See which one you really like and start swatting those flies. Whether physical, spiritual, or mental flies, okay? Start swatting. Because sometimes it helps to have a physical, I guess like a physical analogy, like to see it. Like I'm very black and white, yes and no, like show me a picture. Show me the facts, show me the data. A fly swatter is a great way to relieve stress. <laughs> it just is. <laughs> it just is. So, you know, for the longest time I used to dread certain parts of the year uh, because we would have different types of insects or whatever. And I don't dread it anymore. I'm like, oh, when can I squash another one? It's just like, you know, I don't back down from it anymore. I don't go, oh, I need to call pest control and have them spray all these pesticides and expose my body to harmful to harmful chemicals. No, I get a fly swatter or I get my shoe. Just go for it. You'd be surprised how, I don't know how else to describe this, but it's very empowering and enriching to handle things yourself because you're taking authority. And sometimes it helps to take authority in the small things so that way you know what to do when you are supposed to and you do take authority over the big things in your life. That's my point. I'm running over time here, but I will go ahead and end this podcast. But as usual, until next time, I pray that you're happy, healthy, and whole, that you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you so much. God bless and bye-bye. Without a fight And I still hold